Welcome everyone to another episode of the Coruscant Pulse. This is episode number 36, July 24th, 2016. We are exactly 144 days away from the Rogue One opening. I almost said Force Awakens with me as always is James and David. You know, I just realized, you know, it's a little bit more than a month and a half and then we'll only be 100 days away from Rogue One opening. Yay! And Tom just had a Freudian slip. He really does like the Force Awakens. No. It's, wow. It's more like a PTSD damaged my brain for thing. <laughs> Combat shock from that movie. No, but uh that's a disservice to our veterans. I apologize. Anyway, uh yeah, so we uh we are 100 we're almost uh, yeah, 144 days, almost 100 away from Rogue One and we still have a friggin' second teaser or a trailer for it. San Diego Comic-Con is happening or wrapping up, I don't know who cares. And uh we didn't get a whole lot for Star Wars. They didn't have too many official movie panels there. I don't think they had any. And uh, they kind of had their Star Wars celebration. And that was that. They did not show up to Comic-Con, really. Uh, they did have some little panels there. They had some kind of creature features and other little things. And some Marvel people uh, from the comic line. Some book stuff. But that was about it. Yeah, you know, that that seems like it's going to be a trend, not just in the comic and movie world, but like even the video game world. You're starting to see companies doing their own thing. And I mean, they've been doing Celebration for a number of years now, but mainly focusing all their efforts on their own content creation as opposed to somebody else's convention. You know, you can say that they didn't really show up at Comic-Con, but kind of going on what, what you were just saying, James, you know, it wasn't like they didn't do anything this week. Um, they released a new kind of like mini uh, Star Wars show, um, kind of because it, you know, it's wrapping up of, off of Celebration like, but they had a lot more detail on Bistan, who is the monkey thing that you see in the Rogue One Celebration reel. And then also sitting down with uh, Alden, eh, I, eh, sorry, he has a hard last name. Alden Ehrenreich. Han Solo. Right? Han Solo too. Yeah, the guy who's playing Han Solo. <laughs> um, and you know it's only four minutes this time around, and typically like most of the time the Star Wars show is about fifteen minutes or so. So you know not as much as what they typically do, but still you know little bits of nice pieces. But yeah, you know the the big thing coming out of Comic Con this year for Star Wars was a little bit more on the details on certain characters and just showing off more of the aliens. You know, and while we're on that front, I don't know. Did you guys read the read or see the piece about how uh, Gareth Edwards wound up picking Bistan and Pow and how he created those characters? Do tell. All right, so. It looks like what what he did is he just went to the creature department guys and said, not really sure what I'm looking for. Create a bunch of stuff and I'm just going to use it. <laughs> and so and so like he created all these oh, they created like tons and tons of like these, you know, various creatures, weird aliens and the like. And Gareth Edwards just goes, all right, that guy and that guy like those are guys that I want in this movie. And that's one of those picked was Bistan. Another one picked was Pow, and for Pow, like he gives this little anecdote of, you know what? Uh, he was codenamed Big Mouth because he has a big mouth. And Gareth Edwards just went, you know what? He looks like he would be great at shouting orders. <laughs> I want him, and that's exactly what Pow's character is. He Pow's character is some kind of like commander or something like that in the Alliance. So that should be interesting. 
They had the uh, the two tubes. That one was that the Rebel pilot or something? Uh sort of uh, two. Uh, so his name is apparently Edrio Two Tubes. He's a mercenary pilot that works with Saw Guerrera. Oh, cool. Yeah, he uh, he looks pretty intimidating. It's a cool costume they got there. I I gotta ask though, how do you feel about the name of Two Tubes? I, it sounds stupid. It's better than the. Uh, Beastie Boy album guy that died in Force Awakens. It's not good, but it's not that bad. Yeah, like for me, like the fact that his that the second part of his name is Two Tubes because he has two tubes, it, like kills me. Like he couldn't come up with something weird, or crazy, or at least like release the name as Edrio, like uh, you know, quote Two Tubes unquote, uh, and then something else so you know it's a nickname and not part of his actual like name. It's almost like somebody was on the Godfell- Goodfellas set and was like, and ah, Mickey No-Nos, yeah, and Two Tubes, yeah. Yeah, it sounds more like a, sh- I don't know, like a street name and a nickname. Like, that's how I read it. I don't know. It just it just weirded me out when I was first seeing it. But, you know, maybe you're right, and maybe I'm just being too sensitive on this thing. Possibly, possibly. Wouldn't be the first time. I love the concept that Gareth Edwards was just like, I don't know what I want, make me a bunch of stuff and I'll figure it out. And the creature department did it. That makes a ton of sense to me, though, because it's, you know, if you're if you're directing exactly what you're expecting to find, then that's that's only what you're going to find. And that seems to be a thing that Gareth Edwards seems to be doing with Rogue One overall, you know, with the building of sets, with the way that he uses his camera techniques. He's looking for things that he's not even sure if he wanted because he's he's acting or He's actively hunting for the right shot, for the right scene. You know, that's one of the things where, like, there was another story out there where extras for the entire day were just basically pretending to be someone else for the entire day because they weren't really sure what they were looking for, which has got to be a tedious process from an extra standpoint, but from a movie standpoint... There's, it almost feels like there's going to wind up being so much footage that with a strong editing team, that Rogue One can't help but be awesome. The real question is, is are we going to get that strong editing team or not? Hopefully. Yes, one, one would hope. People, people really shit on uh, that Godzilla, but I, I was a fan. He should be able to pull it off. I don't know. I mean, just the, the hearing that kind of mantra and that kind of uh, game plan, you know, that's how they're that's how they're going about shooting. That's pretty cool. That's something that's uh, uh, somewhat innovative as opposed to other director styles uh, and less, you know, just shit on JJ again. But, you know, he, he talked a lot about how much he loves Star Wars and yada, yada, and how much he loved the fans, yada, yada. This guy's talking about, you know, how he's actually shooting the movie. He shows that he's thinking about the movie and creating things not just for you know like lip service he's actually trying to create new and better you know you know what i mean it's it's he's telling a story within the universe as opposed to just doing this huge you know shot for shot remake but you don't want the mystery box fuck that but yeah, it's uh, it's it's cool shit. I that's in I I love seeing the aliens. I was kind of worried when uh, we got the two aliens in the leak and then they weren't announced, you know. And now now they're they're definitely in there and they're guys in suits too. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I think for me, I'm really hoping that they that they have like strong long term pieces of 
of action with them. You know, part of me is a little bit worried about Powell's character if that one's kind of going to be like uh, almost a flashback scene with uh, with Cassian's character where like that guy was Cassian's commanding officer or something like that and then gets gunned down in a horrible manner. And then that's the end of him. That would really <laughs> suck. David just goes there. I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably going to happen, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, regardless, it, I mean, it's it's a damn good set dressing at the end of the day. It's uh, better than, you know, it, it's adding something to the frame without it being like uh, what Lucas did to the uh, original trilogy when he went in and added shit. I mean, he added a lot to the frame. Uh, hand never shot first. Yeah. So then there was also that scene with Jabba at outside uh, the Falcon. Uh, and then there was also the Ronto. I'll oh, say yeah, this the much. Ronto. I, the I personally Ronto. enjoyed the Ronto. The Ronto because it was cool. kind of like it was a weird alien thing, and it's just like, hey, here's another crazy critter that's on this planet. Necessary? No. Interesting? I think so. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it would have been nice if they had gone to the Comic-Con with stuff as opposed to not, but uh, an actual movie panel. I saw that the Edward Snowden movie had a Comic-Con premiere trailer, and I was like, what the fuck? This isn't, this isn't a comic book. This is uh, like a Oliver Stone, like, uh, based on true events thing. This isn't... Uh, I mean, isn't it all f- fiction? Sure. Well, I mean, it is Oliver Stone, <laughs> so yeah, good good portion of that could be bullshit but uh you know it's like come on guys this is a big market i don't know i don't think it's going to hurt them any because they are such a big thing but uh it would have been nice to have something a bit more than just uh some of this ancillary stuff because it really is what they showed up to comic-con with was really just uh cool some new stuff but it really was uh bottom of the barrel information i'd say i don't know like the the big thing for me that they brought to comic-con was you know the costumes and the outfits of a couple of the characters like that that's that's really what they brought and oh, then, yeah. you know there were panels specifically on the books and the like but you know it's it's kind of here and there about you know how that is yeah, Shrek Wendig was there right <laughs> oh lots yeah. of people were there Zon was there too uh Zon I don't know that all seems uh low grade to me the books to me the books comic books video games it's all Secondary. I mean, look what they did last year. They had a Rogue One panel. They had an Episode 7 panel. Uh, and then the Episode 7 panel, then they went, everyone, and brought them to a fucking concert outside with a firework display. Now, I'm not saying they have to do that every year, but uh, something, you know? Maybe know. bring the Episode 7 people back. But what talk about was, the movie. was Celebration um, at the same time last year? No, I think it was at a different time last year. And, and for me... I think that they might do something big again at next uh, year's Comic-Con because the thing is, is that, yeah, like Celebration and Comic-Con were a week apart. And next year, though, um, you know, Comic-Con's still going to be in late July, as it always is. And then, but Orlando's Celebration is in April. So, you know, we might get some, some like a piece there and then a second piece later on. But yeah, I think you were right just in terms of, you know, I think I think you mentioned it like way back when, when the timings were initially announced, but you were thinking that we were only going to get stuff at Celebration because Comic-Con was right up against it. 
and they wouldn't prepare two things just to you know make two different splashes when they could just do one big thing and make one big splash. It makes yeah. sense from from a financial perspective and everything else. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, yeah, I said that, but it's like they have. Hey, it doesn't mean you have to like it. No, but look at the market. I mean, Star Wars Celebration is all Star Wars fans. They're gonna be into it. Where Comic Con is, everybody's there. Which pretty much you could assume everyone at Comic Con is in the Star Wars to some degree if they're going to fucking Comic Con. But uh, except for Trekkies. Yeah, fuck Trekkies. No, wait, Treks, Trekkies are cool. Uh, but yeah, it, w- it would have been nice to have something there and maybe smart to have your people there pimping your movie. Maybe a teaser. Maybe they could have shown their extended one and released that. You know, that wouldn't have been a bad idea. Officially released the trailer they showed at Celebration, show it early to the people there, and then release it at Comic-Con for everyone, giving the Star Wars fans, uh, you know, a week in advance. Sure, it might leak online, which it did, but, you know, the Star Wars fans got the first dibs on it. I could see that might have been nice. I don't know, just that's fun marketing conversations. Yay. Yay, marketing. And I don't know if I agree with you, though, that the, the comic books and the video games and all that stuff is just window dressing, because it's not anymore. It used to be, because it wasn't canon, but now it's all canon, so it, it all ties in together. Okay, actually, as we go down that road, like, so where where do you draw the line on things really mattering, though, James? Because I did not realize how much short fiction they were putting out on starwars.com and in star wars insider until very recently Uh, the short fiction like it doesn't matter to me like unless they're gonna put together a compilation book that has like say they do a bunch of short fiction about poe dameron a bunch of different short stories and they put it all together then it'll matter to me but i'm not gonna go out searching for every little piece like they, they need to make it a little easy for me make it easy for me to pay you well, that's the thing. Like a bunch of it's just out for free. No, I, I get that, I, uh, but that that requires effort. Whereas I can just go on Amazon and put it in my Kindle and pay them whatever five bucks, ten bucks, and have the content. That that's just easier for me. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think I can understand. I I recently found out that there's like something called like that there's like actually like a series of like four or five short stories I think called like Blade Squadron or something like that. Okay, and what's their deal? I'm not 100% sure because I haven't, you know, read the whole thing. But yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, just freely available on StarWars.com. Apparently the very first one was published back in August of 2015, and I just had no idea it was happening. Well, you see, uh, forget the whole make it easy for me to pay you. That's just poor marketing on their part, like putting out all this new content but not giving it... Yeah, it's on StarWars.com or it's in Star Wars Insider, but that that's not giving it a home, you know what I mean? It needs a home. It needs to. There needs to be a spot where somebody can just go and find everything as opposed to, like, searching for it here and there. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it was just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know it was a thing. But now that I do, like I can, it's pretty easy to find. But so Blaze Squadron is is a short story that takes place during the Battle of Endor with one of the B Wing squadrons there. That's kind of cool. See, stuff like that, I feel like is maybe I could be wrong. Might be more them trying to test concepts than actually put out stories. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's the thing. Like they're able to do that, and you know, just make stories. Which I find awesome. It's not 
on awesome. I just, I, it's a lot of effort and time for me to to do that to to read all that the little nuanced stuff. I, I prefer the polished stuff that comes out. Well, I'll say this much, and it's also the other reason I bring it up is because I was listening to an interview recently of the gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment, but the author of A New Dawn and the various like short stories that he's put together and the ways that that some of the Star Wars fiction is being tied together. So, for example, like uh, Ray Sloan, uh, her first appearance is in A New Dawn. Ray Sloan is that author's character, and it's not Chuck Wendig. It's uh, another author whose name I'm right now. The Google is not working for the David, quickly. Sorry? Okay, Uh, John Jackson Miller. And the thing about it was, so, with Ray Sloan, Ray Sloan's also in the Kanan comics. And he, he, in the interview, he said that, you know, like, they told him that they wanted to put Ray Sloan in the comic with, you know, fighting against Kanan again. And they had him pick what scene she was in, which was awesome Be- because of what happens in the comic. And, you know, it's one of those things. If you enjoy Rebels at all, if you enjoy Kanan and Ezra at all, check out A New Dawn. It's, it's a neat, neat little story. Uh, that, again, you know, uh, many people may have already read it because it was the first new canon book that came out. Lies, Tarkin. No. No, not Tarkin. Yeah, Tarkin. May have been set before, but I don't believe it actually came out beforehand. No, I think Tarkin, because I think Tarkin was already in the works before the new canon push. Oh, so was so was New Dawn. I, I, they might have come out right around the same time then. They did, because they, they came out together. Yeah, so New Dawn came out in September 2nd. Tarkin came out on November 4th. Mm, gotcha. But yeah, it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, he, he created this new character, brought her into the world. And James, you know how important Sloane is kind of going forward since you've read both Aftermath and Life Debt. Yep, she is uh, mildly important. Yeah, she's, she's a huge factor in, in the stories now. But... At the same time, like the other thing you mentioned is that he has a bunch of he has a bunch of, you know, short stories that basically tie a new dawn and specifically Ray Sloan to that Tarkin storyline, uh, which was released in the Rise of the Empire compilation. And so I guess what I'm really getting at is I'm personally really hoping that they do do another short story compilation like how they used to. Remember with like Tales of the Bounty Hunter and Tales of the Jedi and whatnot? Yeah, some of the stories weren't great, but overall they were just a fun compilation to have. Yeah, I think that'd be nice if they put together a bunch of compilations and make it really easy for me to drop 10, 15 bucks. Yeah, it'd it'd be really cool because, I don't know, in some of these short stories, that's where you can kind of like develop the flavor of the universe that you're trying to build. Meanwhile, as we talk about all this, Tom is having a seizure because he's like, screw this. I think he's just shaking his head at us. That's all. Yeah, I was shaking my head half half seizure. It was it was pretty bad. I'm okay though. I'm I think the next one I'm going to give a shot is Timothy Zahn. Because he's he's a good writer. I've read his books in the past, so I'm looking forward to that. Nothing before then, really. Nothing out of the new canon? catalyst, the Rogue One book. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm not gonna no novelization of the movie. I'm I'm quite no good. no no. no it's a prelude. I'm I'm good. Yeah, I'm good on that too. 
it's kind of like so I, I guess then for you like it's really like you're only really interested like once a year in the new star wars stuff that comes out no if if the movie's good then i'll give a shit about all the other stuff surrounding it you know what i mean uh you're just waiting for for someone to prove to you yeah. that that the reboot is 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 worth it yeah i'm not just gonna throw down money no i'm gonna test it out first see if i like it watch their film if i don't then uh yeah i'm not giving them any more money that's like uh buying a car stereo for a car that you're that you haven't bought yet but the force awakens is so good yeah about that <laughs> for more on tom's thoughts uh at some point soon i'll be uh hopefully by the time you can get this recording uh you should be able to listen to tom's thoughts on the force awakens as a commentary track yay did, did tom just do it all by himself yeah i didn't i didn't want to i wanted you guys to be there but you're both so fucking busy all the damn time hey i wish i wasn't so busy just quit your jobs. You'll be fine. Ah, yeah. That, uh, money will just appear. Yes. What do I look like? Lucasfilm? That's where we should wall work. We could just print that shit. <laughs> hey, you know, it's an absolute shame that, you know, uh, a certain Star Wars museum ain't coming to Chicago. Yeah, I could have worked there. Oh, man. No, I don't care. We got some aftermath to talk. Yeah, you guys want to talk about your aftermath here? Yeah, I think we will. So, okay. I guess a quick spoiler warning. Yeah, we're going to de- delve into all kinds of craziness with, with this one. And so I guess for me, the first question for you, James, is how did you feel about Wedge Antilles and his recurring, uh, and his type, I guess, between Yella Wasseri and Nora Wexley? It seemed a bit like he has a specific type. The type that, well, um, has husbands that died, but um, didn't die. And then come back, but are programmed Imperial agents. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like the Chuck Wendig probably read the Rogue Squadron books. At least the first four. First three, rather. Because it really felt like, as I'm reading it, and you, you clued me into it before I started reading that portion, so I had an idea going into it. But I'm reading it, I'm like, really? Again? Yeah, it's just like, you know, part of me just wants Wedge to be happy, but then I was just like, oh, man. And and I think for me, the other thing was, is that because, because I read it before anyone, you know, could spoil anything for me, because I read it in like, you know, maybe 24 hours or something like that after it came out. But as I was reading it, I was just going, you know, specifically around him, it's just like, this seems really familiar. He's he's an imperial agent. I already know he's an imperial agent. I don't know why I know he's an imperial agent already, but I I know he's programmed. Like there's there's no other story uh, reason or element to have him be here aside from to have him be programmed. Yeah, there there was really nothing good that could have come from that. No, and yeah, it was. Uh, and I, I don't know, like so. Benton, I think, is his is that character's name. Yeah, the husband. Benton. And on the one hand, I I don't know. Yellow Wasiri's husband just seemed more alive, but that might have just been because of Corn Horn's influence in that story, where Corn Horn was a secondary touch point for Yellow Wasiri's husband, whose name is escaping me. The way that Snap or um, Temin never was. Corn Corn Horn was in the fucking book? No, 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 no. This is you know back in the Rogue Squadron books. Like Corn Horn oh, uh, no. had a relationship with Yellow Series husband. You know, like he was another perspective character that you knew and cared about and found it interesting. 
the the problem that I guess I had with with Benton's introduction and the way they kind of dealt with it is you see Benton at different points from three different people, but it's never it, it never really builds upon itself. You have you have Temin's perspective where you know he's just getting mad at his mom. You have Wedge's perspective when Nora steps off with Benton uh, when he first gets back. And then you have Nora's, but you only get Nora's perspective really um, for like a quick 45 seconds. And then everything basically goes to hell. Yeah, it just, it, it felt like a forced plot element. It didn't feel like a, a good storytelling aspect. It just felt forced. I don't know about force because like I, I don't disagree with the with the idea and the notion, but I think I think maybe it just developed too fast. Does that make sense? Well yeah, I guess to me in my mind that would be forced. Like he, he didn't take the time or the whatever caused it, it didn't he the time wasn't taken to fully develop that idea. It was almost like, Alright, this worked in the old EU, let's uh let's do it again. No, and see, that's the thing. For me, I'm still fine with being with with having that plot element be there. For me, the issue was how quickly like you you introduced him and then dumped him, even though he's still around. But it was like you know immediately upon like you know starting this thing, you know which you know you you could sort of see that they were a poison pill from the get go. It wasn't like super well camouflaged in any way. Well, here, what, what, oh, you're talking about characters and relationships and shit. What is the, what's the book about? What's the main storyline through the book and how does it end? What happens? Ooh. What's the conflict? Okay. So yeah, so there's probably four stories that are happening, maybe five stories that are happening in this book. I'll start off with. Well, what's, what's the thematic? Just, just an overview. I don't even know if I could give you one thematic piece. And that's, again, one of my problems with the way that, that you know, Chuck Wendig tends, I feel like, to write his books. Because there are multiple different stories that hit very different themes, in my opinion. Because there's Han Solo's plotline. There's Nora Wexley's pro- plotline. There is Leia's plotline. And there's Ray Sloan's plotline. A little bit less, you also have Rax's plotline. And... Uh, Jass's pro- plot line is a big one in here, and as well, I guess. I mean, to me, I, uh, to more directly answer the question, I feel like the all the plot lines, though, they all sort of had one common theme, and it wasn't necessarily is it worth it, but it was more along the lines of of uh, relationships, like. Are you in this just for money or are you in it because of friends? Are you in this because, you know, you care about the Empire or because you were taken care of as a young child by the Emperor? So you you have a true devotion there. I felt like there was a the theme was relationships. All right. Well, what were the good guys doing? What were the bad guys doing? Like, was the Empire trying to consolidate power and trying, you know, like, tell me what was going on? So the the good guys, uh, the New Republic is basically trying not to kill the whole galaxy, right? They're demilitarizing a little bit, even though the war is still going on. They're trying to find ways to peacefully end the violence without destroying the rest of the galaxy. At least that's the read I got on it. And the Empire is slowly trying to come together, but they're also cutting off portions of themselves. So, like, Coruscant is not being protected at all by the Imperial Navy. It's like, oh, that's that's the ISB. Good luck. 
we're not getting involved in that. And they're cutting off portions of the, the empire that they feel won't work to make themselves leaner and to sort of like re make it reborn. Yep. And there's one kind of puppet master who is basically behind all of these various moves that the empire is making. Who kind of is uh, Ray Sloan's benefactor slash puppet, puppet master. And who is this person? This is a new character, a fleet admiral named uh, Rax. What was his last name? Oh, Rax Gal- was his last name. That's right. Galley and something? Yeah, something like that. So basically, the the kid is from, the guy is from Jakku. He stowed aboard a Imperial ship or a Sith ship in the beginning of the book. And nobody really knew any, like, if you searched him in the database, nobody really knew anything about him, how he rose to power so fast, etc., etc. And the end story of the book is basically Palpatine, finding out that the ship he stowed aboard was Palpatine's. Yeah, and that Palpatine had a very special mission for him, which seemed, which, you know, right now, the full extent of which is kind of unknown, but what is known is that it centers around Jakku sort of explaining why Jakku, the Battle of Jakku takes place in the first place, because he brings the entire fleet there. Yeah, so I guess then the, the next piece is what's happening on, on the rebel side, because you, you seem to have, have put that together fairly well. Well, I guess actually just one other piece on the Imperial is that there is a power struggle that's happening within the various Imperial commanders, and it's really like Ray Sloan against this guy, because she does not trust this guy. She does not like the direction that this guy is moving things. Uh, this guy's a master marketer and manipulator. And so, you know, with, with Sloan, you know, she's trying to get to the bottom of what's happening. She is not on board necessarily with, you know, all kinds of plans. You know, she's, she's a fairly honorable character in her own right. Like she'll make a hard choice and she'll do bad things, but you know, she, 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 she has her own code that she'll follow. Which this Rax guy simply does not. Yeah, she definitely is a soldier. You know, her code, maybe she'll do bad things, but uh, from a soldier's perspective, not like genocide for genocide's sake. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's a Sloan story is very much about the conflict between her and Rax and kind of over in many ways the soul of the remnants of the Imperials. Now, on the other hand, with the rebels, you know, as Jane mentioned, like Mon Mothma is demilitarizing the the Republic. You are actually from the get go, like Leia and Mon Mothma are at incredible loggerheads, which was not something that I fully expected, considering everything that happens in Bloodlines. But oh boy, they were they they, they are at massive loggerheads on a number of things. One of the biggest with is the issue of Kashyyyk and the refusal of Mon Mothma to send any kind of rebel force to to that planet in order to liberate it, which is one of the reasons why Han said, too bad, like I'm, I resign my commission and I'm going to go do this on my own with a bunch of smugglers. The Empire is not defeated yet, really, and they're, they're already demilitarizing? Yeah, uh, yeah, e- exactly. Yeah, it may, that makes no sense to me. But um, they they are building new ships that are from an old Imperial ships. So instead of just using the Star Destroyers like they did in the old EU, they create new ships out of them. And they also one piece that we didn't mention with the Empire 
something like 75% of all the Star Destroyers were destroyed or mis- or accounted for not being part of the Empire anymore. So a large, even though the war is still going on, a very large portion of the Imperial fleet got taken out. How? Yeah, that's not really... infighting. It's it's implied that there's infighting in a New Republic um, has kind of been engagements, fleets one after another. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like every little every little warlord that popped up, like you know, you would have had Zinj or something like that. Almost every single one of them, outside of Sloane's like command has been smashed at this point. Like, the Imperial yeah, like, is not in a strong place. Akbar's flying around, the home one just, just wrecking shit is implied. Yeah. Kashyyyk, they did... So, uh, the Wookiees have always kind of been this, uh, used by the Empire as a slave race in the old canon and now the new canon. They did some fucked up shit with the Wookiees in this canon, though. Uh, I'm talking about implanted devices that make them do exactly what you say, and if you go past a certain border, blow you up. Well, like not they, you up, but you know the people that you care about, because that no, was one was, of the big things that that they that they focused on was the fact that the way that they got the Wookiees to to submit wasn't threatening themselves because a Wookiee, like they're strong enough, they're proud enough, you can kill them and and that'll be that. But if you want to get them into submission, you threaten their families, and that's exactly what they did. They well, them up and their families. Yeah, so basically everyone's implanted with these devices. And the Empire has the ability to kill any Wookiee on the planet at will. Rounded up into camps. It, it was like some... that The whole... That piece was very dark for me. And the fact that Mon Mothma and the New Republic didn't really have the wherewithal to fight them there. Because it wasn't significant. Kind of pissed me off. Yeah, which is a, a piece that I'm somewhat interested in what they're going to do with uh, with Cassian because he's, he's supposed to be an intelligence operative in Rogue One. And from everything that I've seen post-Endor, there does not appear to be Republic intelligence, period. Like, you know, you read Bloodlines, they have no idea what's happening on Ryloth. You read Aftermath Life Dead, they have barely any idea what's happening on Kashyyyk. All they know is the Empire controls it. They know nothing about the situation on the ground. And that's, that, like, from a, from an intelligence community standpoint, is basically inexcusable. Well, no, I didn't get the impression that they didn't know what was going on in Kashyyyk. I got the impression that they just didn't, it was not part of the war objective, so they're not going to do it. Kind of like, during World War II, when people complained that we didn't bomb the trains going to the prison camps, and FDR would be, was basically said something to the effect of, it's better to beat Hitler, and bombing those trains doesn't stop Hitler. It just stops them from getting to the camp now. Uh, yeah, for me, I, I got the impression that they they didn't realize just how bad it was down there. But again, that's my impression. You're welcome to yours. No, I got the impression that they're just a bunch of savages. Fuck the... Who, the Imperials? Fuck the NR- yes, yes no. the Imperials absolutely were a bunch of savages. You no, still feel no. good about being an Imperial-leaning uh, gentleman, James? Still feel yes, good I about do. that? Yes, I do. But I feel like the New Republic was the savages because they just didn't care. Yeah, like, that, that, that for me was one of those things where it... To me, it's almost like, if this is the way that they were behaving here, like... Unless they do a ton of stuff with Empire's End, I can't understand how Leia, like, didn't realize that these kinds of things and issues were going to be cropping up and form the Resistance much, much earlier. Well, my my guess is the fact that they tried to assassinate Mon Mothma 
and all the others probably put some resolve in everyone and that's why we have the massive battle of Jakku and probably makes Leia get a little bit more like okay we're willing to kill them all I don't know I have a feeling that one of the other big pieces that's going to come out is once the home one actually like finishes the liberation of Kashyyyk and and that story about what the Imperials were doing on that planet gets out I'm feeling that that's also going to really be a major rallying point for the New Republic again if you're right and I'm wrong well, we'll, no, no, we'll no, have no. to say because specifically I'm talking about public like you know, the government may have known like you could still be right mm, and this could mm-hmm. still be a big plot point because True. it's when the public finds out because you know these are rank and file soldiers refugees that are coming out of Kashyyyk and they are and they're in trouble what did you think about the prison um it struck me as kind of a weird beat scene wasn't bad mind you but it it was weird like i i wasn't a huge fan of the way that he was describing things the way that he he wound up like forcibly splitting up the party for just a brief moment really before turning it back around um yeah it was it was all right it wasn't my favorite like section of the novel it, it, i don't know like i i'm sure i would have been upset had he had he just glossed over it more but it still to me felt kind of glossed over For, forget that whole piece like what did you think about the actual concept behind that type of prison forget how he wrote oh, it, forget it, all it, that. it wasn't a prison james it was a it was a bomb well i mean it was a long-term bomb yeah no that that's that's all it ever was like the reason to keep those people alive was to basically have all these various rebel sympathizers, and they were a poison pill. That's all it was. It wasn't a prison. Uh, uh, no, I I understand that. I just like the whole concept behind it. All being robots, there being no humans to screw it up, using the people to power the, the station. I just liked that whole prison setup. Uh, you know, bomb, prison, whatever you want to call it. They were, people were being held hostage there. As far as I'm concerned, that's essentially a prison. To, and being brainwashed okay. and being brainwashed to do harm i mean yeah i wasn't really sure what you were talking about in terms of like what did you think about it? it's just like you know yeah it was it was a bomb it was you know yeah the structure of the prison like it seems very imperial like you, you know what it reminded me a little bit of uh a little bit of center point station do you remember that thing yeah where the whole thing was is like yeah they had a gladiatorial arena up at the top but for the majority everyone was just in cryostasis yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and that's that's what it reminded me of it. Didn't, and that's why I guess for me it didn't really strike me strongly or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, I've seen this before. I also noticed at one point during the whole prison searching for the prison plot line, they mentioned a, a prison in the underworld of Coruscant with an L, but it wasn't the Lusitania. Obviously, I thought that was a nice little semi callback. Whatever you say. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that uh, that, that book mm-hmm. sounds uh, really bad. <laughs> Glad you know, didn't it, read it. It, it wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, I'm 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 making kind of mountains out of out of molehills because it's there wasn't really anything wrong with the book, but there wasn't, in my opinion, anything really great about most of the book. There were a couple pieces that I think really worked well. One was Sinjir's storyline. Sinjir's storyline, in my opinion, was great. Because yeah, but it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it set up the uh, geopolitical climate too well. It kind of doesn't make sense, and that's not good. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you guys even said like with uh, why are the rebels doing this? Uh, oh no, know? no, they they explained why it's doing it. It's it's just a bad decision. Yeah, and, like 
And the fact that this all takes place in a year's time is kind of, uh, uh, all three of these books is a year's time. It's kind of weird. I mean, I kind of like the idea that it all happened in a year's time. It kind of really lends more to the credibility that the Empire was the Emperor. Palpatine's force of personality really kept that thing going. And, you know, the dark side of the force, but... Yeah, uh, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think it's right to say that it doesn't, like, set up the geopolitical leanings. Like, we're, we're glossing over a lot, not to give too, too much away and not to just read it, you know, verbatim out here. But especially on the Imperials, you get a strong sense for where the Imperials are. You get a strong sense for the dysfunction that winds up being at the New Republic. And, you know, it's it's identified as a problem. Like, it's it's not like, hey, everything's great with the New Republic. It's, no, we have some fucking issues here. Yeah, it's definitely, it, it definitely helps set up bloodlines and what comes later. Like, it, it's like, oh, look, they started out with problems and they got even worse. I don't know. They're pretty bad at this point, too. I mean, I wouldn't say they're pretty bad. I mean, they did authorize new military ships. Yeah, that's that's one of the things, too. It's like they went from this, uh, the Rebel Alliance went to a pretty uh, uniform outfit to falling apart after the Battle of Endor real quick. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, that's, for me, that's not exactly unbelievable because you, you, we see this happen in history, too, where, you know, this this loose alliance of rebels comes together, defeats this, you know, this primary force, but they have no strong sense for how to govern afterwards. Well, and that's exactly almost not verbatim what Mon Mothma says to, to Leia, but she's like, we aren't the rebels anymore. We're a government. We have to do things with procedures and blah, 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 blah. We can't just go out and send a couple ships and blow things up. I don't know. The old canon, I thought, did it better. You know, they the new Republic and the old canon really solidified pretty quickly and seemed less like it made these types of trivial mistakes. And they moved on to other stories as opposed to, like, the battles in the movies really unified them from a loose alliance into a strong government that was able to slowly take back the galaxy as opposed to one that just fell apart because we don't know what we're doing. Well, I think, you know, there's there's a couple of really big things there. I think, for me, one of the primary things that's different in this new canon versus the old canon is how disjointed and how many different rebel cells are actually out there. In the old EU, it was very much like there was one rebel alliance. And, you know, everyone had kind of come together and, yeah, you know, you had different cells, but at the end of the day, everyone kind of agreed that they were one group. I don't feel like that's the case at all in the new canon. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's dumb. Uh, why do you think it's dumb? Just because it's different or? Just doing it to set up the First Order. As, and I don't know why they're doing that. Uh, it, I don't know. It I just mean, seems weak. I, I don't think it's the only reason. I mean, it, to me, it's a lot more believable, especially if you know you do consider if they had shut down like hyperspace communications in the hollow net and had restricted communications, like these various resistance groups aren't going to be coordinated. True, but I mean, the same time with a lot of the characters and the smaller characters from the movie, I guess that's all you know, a canon wipe that these characters were 
competent and strong leaders and now they're they have a lot more problems and it's been kind of game of throne i I think it's more reflecting of the times in which it's being written as opposed to a galaxy far far away and a long time ago yeah that's that's one of the things that's irking me about it all too it's like everyone's got everyone can't get the task that they want completed because there's all these problems and everyone's you know heavily flawed now as before they weren't I don't know about heavily flawed. Or if because... they, or if they were flawed, they had uh, achieved some sort of, at least the main characters, Luke, Leia, and Han. You know, they'd come to some realization, or at least you thought they did at the end of Return of the Jedi. Well, that that's actually the thing. Specifically, like all those characters that you mentioned, they're all doing the right thing still. It, it's the rest of the groups that aren't. Yeah, but in the old canon, that wasn't the case. Mon, you know, especially like with Mon Mothma and Akbar, they were. It made more sense with the, you know, it it kind of like how the how the fight with the Imperials was going in the movies, kind of, you felt like it was kind of going to go the way it did in the old canon, and now it's kind of veering off into this new area that feels, I don't know, maybe it's just because I read all the old canon and. That, on a whole, makes sense, and I imagine, you know, there's more books written for it and whatnot, but, so it's more a complete picture, and we don't know what's going on, you know, this is the second book in a trilogy of three, however, I am just not liking this weird kind of, uh, Back to the Future 2 tangent we're on. (laughs) I can see where you Uh would go there, but, you know, for me, I think, I think the big thing is, is that I'm not super wed to the old canon, like, yeah, there, there were some great stories in there, but... You know, there are also some real bad stories, too. And the stories oh, yeah. that that they're telling now, you know, they're not my favorite, but they're also by far not my least favorite stories. But what I really liked about the old canon is that the geopolitics were really hammered out. It made sense to me, and it was believable for what the organizations were and what they eventually became and for this it just seems a bit hacky well you know what for me i think i think for me there's one thing that i really like about the new canon from a geopolitical standpoint and that is that i feel like in in the new canon you get the sense that the death star the that you know defeating the first death star defeating the second death star those were big, big luck. Like, the the Rebels had no business winning either of those fights, even though they did. And the fact, and you get the sense that, hey, yeah, the Imperials are huge. And the galaxy is huge. And there's a lot of competing voices here. And you need to figure out what it's going to, what it's going to be. Because, you know, that was that was one thing. So, like, you know, if you really think about it, one of the pieces that was kind of lacking in the old EU was, was there any voice of resistance or of, you know, wanting to, to demilitarize, wanting to kind of, like, oppose, you know, like, a new strong federal power from any of the planets? And you, honestly, you didn't see that in the, in the old EU at all. Like, all you saw was, like, power games. You saw power yeah. games instead of, you know, actual actual ideas and conflict there and, and ideological differences. 
Like it wasn't it wasn't so much that, you know, people different people were opposing what was happening. It was just different people wanted to get other people to have credit for what was happening. Like you didn't really run into actual discussion and disagreement and, and argument in a lot of cases. You know, you can look at, you know, Borsk Fela and the rest of the Bothans, like, you know, they were they wanted power and they wanted more power. Well, and like who who was who is the voice against anyone wanting more power? Well, and plus you had these you had this organization, the Empire, which was oppressing everyone, committed uh, a quote unquote genocide by blowing up one of its own planets with its own imperial citizens, and we're in the process of building another uh, super weapon to do the same thing all over again. This was something that I think. You know, these are like the September 11th attacks. Like, you're not just going to, like, take over a quarter of Iraq and then just, uh, you know, we beat their army. They've all scattered. Uh, we'll just mop them up slowly. No, you're going to continue to, hey, you know, all the other planets when they alliance in the Second Battle Endor were like, yes, let's support you. Let's destroy these people. These people were uh, tyrannical oppressors for, you know, multiple decades. Uh, they got to be exterminated. And in the new books, they kind of seem like, yeah, they're fractured. Yeah, there's these power groups. But having the having the alliance demilitarize and be a weak government, it just doesn't make sense because they really had everyone on their side. You know, what was the key event that forced them to become weakened apart from forming a government? If that government was formed, it should have been stronger than it is in the new canon you know what i mean it just kind of well but but hold on hold on like i get what you're saying but at the same time i feel like this new canon government makes more sense to me than the old canon government right so this government is a group the rebel alliance was a group of people former senators current senators whatever you want to call them who did not like what Emperor Palpatine did. He didn't like the Empire. Empire's oppressive. Evil people. Got it. We're going to fight those evil people. We're going to stop that. They do it. They kill the Emperor. They kill two Death Stars. How many millions of people die, right? Doing that. Now, these senators are like, okay, we have to establish a government, but we have to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes Palpatine did. We can't allow this government to have too much power, too much military, because if we have too much power, too much military, we're going to just create a new emperor. It's kind of like the whole... Um, the way the United States created their constitution after we were formed. You know, We didn't want a new... In the Second Amendment, back then... Forgetting all that, the BS that goes on today with it. The whole purpose of the Second Amendment back then, in the 1700s, was to make sure we there was no more tyrannical government that could be to could basically destroy their citizens or do things that the citizens didn't want. Right. So the analogy in the Star Wars universe is they're afraid of creating a new Palpatine, so we're going to make it so a new Palpatine can't be created by having a weak military and all these different things and showing the galaxy that peace is the way to do it, not military. I'm not saying I agree with their idea, but it makes sense. Yeah, but after the Revolutionary War, America militarized. Nope. Up we never a, really had a... A up standing to a, army up to a minimum amount especially with the war of 1812 yes we did uh jefferson had ships built up the ass we also had the uh, barbary pirates challenge us right away after uh the revolutionary war and it it militarized now we didn't go to full-on militarization really till uh the world 20th century 
well, World War One a little bit, but comparative towards the time, what with Europe and that, we had a standing army. It wasn't large, but we didn't demilitarize. Well, I think then then that's one of the things that maybe we're having a problem with terms here because it's not like they're getting rid of everything, but they are they are scaling back their forces. Yeah, but they're they're still in conflict, but they're scaling back their forces. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Seventy five percent of the star destroyers are gone. Like, th- yeah, seventy five percent of the star destroyers are gone. Almost all the super star destroyers are destroyed. It's like they feel like the empire's on the ropes, and they don't have to worry about them anymore, or as much. Yeah, rather. but then there's kind of like... still there's still planets being oppressed with terrible bombs and shit. Like uh, I don't know. It just it seems like a cop out. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense with the, even the movies, like how the movies were going, like that this organization for good and having these daring missions where they're sacrificing themselves in order to, you know, destroy this evil, oppressive empire, then just, uh, you know, quits because they don't want to become like the empire. That is just weak as shit. I don't think it is. You know, I think, I think a lot of it really comes down to, you know, what you one how competent you you assume this this force to be how cohesive you imagine it to be and then how how much you place on them actually being good people cuz you know they are well, rebels they are rebels yeah but i mean they're pretty well organized look at empire strikes back fuck there's a probe droid here they probably know we're here they ha- they don't know a fleet's coming but they don't play around they get the fuck out of there you know they they start Look, we need to get out of there. We need our troops to do holding action. We need to get mobile because they know we're here. You know, they're pretty professional talking pilots in uh, A New Hope and even in uh, the Battle of Endor. You know, they got a plan together and, you know, they they knew it was a bad suicide mission and they made the best of a bad situation, what with it being a trap and all that shit. But it doesn't i don't know it just doesn't make sense it doesn't sit with me and it's not just because i don't like chuck wendig in my opinion i don't like him he's a hack and his first person uh way of writing is terrible and uh but it just i don't know i mean i read the synopsis for both of these books and it's just this kind of like shit and i now i've heard it from you and you know it's just it's it doesn't feel like it's going on the right trajectory for what was before see for me i think i i am interested to see what someone else does in this space you know, I, I, I actually like Bloodlines well enough. I thought it was probably one of the better novels to have come out. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I I don't hate the the universe that, that Wendig is setting up here, but I think I need someone else to really flesh it out. Um, because he's giving us and again, this is this is one of the issues with the way that he is writing from this limited viewpoint perspectives and that we don't know why mon mothma is making the decision we know why mon mothma tells leia she's making the decision but we don't know what's happening behind closed doors we don't know what's happening you know with the rest of the planets we don't know what kind of pushback she's getting yeah it's it's you can't tell this type of story and write science fiction fantasy like this when you're this type of an author you know he's just he can't do it i'm convinced i'm still holding out hope but at the same time you know that's just because there's one more book and i need to you know not give up hope before then (laughs) once it's done then we can give up hope yeah exactly uh once it's done then i'm hoping that you know someone someone else will will you know add to that space in addition to you know claudia gray and chuck wendig 
Because right now they're they're the two authors in that space. Yeah, that's really it. Well, we're gonna get some Zon soon. No, Zon's gonna be beforehand because uh, Thrawn is taking place uh, mm, prior to Episode true. Four. God damn it! Or I would assume it is anyway. Yeah, he, you're he, right. He would, kind of, that. he would kind of be a big uh, hole in Chuck Wendig's book if, like, hey, by the by, Thrawn's out here too. <laughs> yeah, by the way. So no, yeah, that that's definitely all happening beforehand. I have a feeling that he's gonna die in Rebels too, which would be great for me. Nah, that'd be me. I don't want to see him die. He wants. He needs to live forever. Forever. No, I have a feeling that Ezra's gonna go full dark side on his ass. Like I have a feeling that like Thrawn might kill Sabine or something like that, and then Ezra's just going to force choke him to death. <laughs> no, Thrawn must live. The Empire of the Hand. The hell is that? <laughs> It's from some of the later EU. Yeah, that ain't happening no more. We must accept the old canon is dead, and this is the new, and we gotta make the best of it. I'm making the best of it. I, I, I'm, I'm liking stuff thus far. I'm not utterly disappointed in everything. You know, I've gotta ask, you, you know, James, and I guess you too, Tom. Like, what has been your favorite new canon thing that's come out? I'll let Tom go first. Cricket. So I guess that's Tom's favorite thing. The silence. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got nothing for new canon from the films or the books I've read. There's really, uh, it, well, I'm I'm thinking post Endor. Anything post Endor? Because I do like some of the stuff from Rebels and Clone Wars. Okay. That's kind of newer, but post Endor, yeah. There's, it's really just right now. It's just a shotgun blast of uh, incoherent bullshit to me. Okay, so so for me, I'm talking about overall. Like you know, you can say you know your favorite thing is Hondo Onaka. Like that's fine by me. Yeah, I'll go Hondo Onaka. All right. How about you, James? What what's your favorite like work that's kind of come out? I think my favorite thus far is Lost Stars. That is a strong pick. I am I am in between picking Lost Stars and A New Dawn. And I think I talked to you guys a little bit about New Dawn, but one of the things I really liked is it, it had just such a great bad guy. Count Vindian was just oh, he was he was he was the way I imagine like I imagine Rax to be like a poor man's clone of Vindian in a lot of ways. Because like yeah, you lost me. I don't know any of that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, because you never read a New Dawn, right? Because it was a time with rebels, and that instantly turned you off of it. I think. I mean, if I remember correctly, the New Dawn cover was essentially cartoon characters from Rebels. But yeah, that's just because that's who it was. It was certainly not a book for kids. Holy crap. <laughs> kids books typically don't have the villain, like, shoving someone's wife uh, into a vat of, of, I think it was, like, molten steel. And because she, uh, like, missed the quota or something like that. Well, next time, get the quote. He was a hardcore villain. And it's also one of those things where Kanan in that book is very much a Han Solo-style character. He is not the Kanan that you see in Rebels. Like, it's it's well before he becomes the Kanan in Rebels. Hera is very much the Hera from Rebels, though. But the Hera from Rebels is a pretty cool character anyway, in my opinion. But it's just them, uh, someone like an explosives expert that happens to be around, a couple of basilisks, and yeah, just some, just a really, in a couple of ways, dark story about, you know, 
because like yeah like vindian's whole thing is he uh like you know the author said this again that he takes the he takes what the republic was doing and puts it to what the empire becomes so like yeah you know the republic needs all this war material all this you know steel and the like and you know vindian creates that that cold soulless unfeeling monstrosity that the empire is from a resource gathering standpoint and he just does it incredibly efficiently and yeah and so i i think and then also just because you know it might be my familiarity with the characters of kanan and Hera, but i think new dawn might be my favorite novel uh that's come out that's that's new lost stars my only problem that i really had with lost stars was actually the duration of it which was spe specifically how many years it covers and how and how like years of experience and years of activities have to be like summed up in a paragraph because you know because you have to gloss over it in order to get to the new piece of action and that, that that's i think the only reason why i didn't like lost stars as much as a new dawn because i, I will still i will say this much the characters in lost stars were probably the best the best new characters that have come out of the new canon so far I mean, I was okay with, I know what you mean with Lost Stars. I was just okay with it because I was like, this is a story about these two characters. Exactly. And their love story. So I was like, all right, this is a character-driven story. If they're going to gloss over some stuff, that's fine because it's about the characters and their journey. Yeah, I can dig that. Um, why is that na the Count's name familiar? Is that the Count that... Do they reference him in, in Battlefront, uh, Twilight Company? Don't know if they do in Twilight Company. I know for sure that he is actually referenced in Life Debt. I believe, like, Sloane uh, makes an offhand comment about it. Because Sloane was in New Dawn as well. Specifically, she worked for Vindian in New Dawn. Got it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe eventually I'll pick up some of this Rebels Clone Wars stuff. But right now, just how Tom doesn't want to tie into anything that until the movies are good i'm just like i i don't need cartoon stuff and i know it's not cartoon stuff but i yeah no yeah for me it's one of those things like i would i would consider you know it's almost like uh let me put it to you this way. way to put it but for me it's almost like you don't need to watch rebels to enjoy a new dawn if you just consider them you know a budding rebel cell like, you don't need to know what happens after it. You don't need to have an emotional connection with the characters beforehand. Because when these when this book was written and the characters were created, you know, they didn't exist. I mean, put it to you this way. That's fair about A New Dawn. But, like, for anything, the other content that's coming out from Rebels and such, as far as I'm concerned, basically, if it was set during, after Endor, I'd be all over it. Even if it was the most childish thing you can imagine. I just... For something that's pre-Endor, I'm not into it. I, I can get behind that. I mean, like, yeah, to, to be honest, Tom's Tom's really right in, in that sense that, you know, there isn't, you know, and it's, you can even see it with what all three of us picked as our favorite new canon stuff. All three of them were, were set either before or during the Galactic Civil War. Well, and that's, no, two of them were, and one of them was set nowhere because Tom refuses to pick anything. Oh, Tom sort of picked Hondo and Naka. Sort of. Sort of, and that's because I gave him that out. But yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of the way it is. 
and it's it's not it's not great it it's not terrible but they're the novels that that are in the between right now i feel like they're not as strong as the novels that are currently being set beforehand yeah although i forget how how did you feel about battle battlefront twilight company it was a solid book i liked it okay but it wasn't like your your be all end all yeah no it took me a little longer to get through it than most star wars books uh usually i can fly through a star wars book in less than a week and this one took me like a month yeah for for me i think my problem with battlefront was it felt like the characters weren't super well developed in some ways like in some ways it it's insane because it's almost the exact opposite problem that I had with with Chuck Wendig's books and and with George R. R. Martin's books, where you've got too many points of perspective, and you know the story has a hard time coming together. Even though we were basically in one man's perspective the entire time, you know, because of that, it felt like I didn't really get a good sense for a lot of the other characters that were surrounding him. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That made sense. Yeah, and that's that. That was the issue that I guess I had with it. I could see that. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that that's really like up top. I don't know. Like some of the stuff that's come out just hasn't. I guess hasn't really done it for me. Like, you know, life debt. Uh, actually, I'll ask you this question, James. Did you like life debt or aftermath more? I liked life debt more. Mainly, I I liked the idea. That, not the idea, but. I liked the incorporation of the older characters because I missed them. Okay. I guess for me, you know, I didn't have that same desire to see them no matter what come hell or high water. For me, I think I think I might have liked Aftermath more. With the exception of Sinjir's story. Like, I really like Sinjir in life that I did not like his character at all in Aftermath. But I think for me, one of the things was is that I had a hard time with, um, I think it was Jass's point of view, the bounty hunter. Yeah, Jass. Yeah, in life that I just didn't, I could not get behind her storyline. Like that, it was a really hard story for me to kind of like deal with in some ways because it was, I don't know, it was, she was in such denial the entire time. And all of a sudden, like, she just kind of like goes, okay. And I was just like, really? You know, no, like, no, like, moment of catharsis. It just sort of happens. Yeah, that was a little weird for me. Yeah, and, you know, between her and what they wound up doing with Temin, Temin seemed like a super weak character in this one. Did you feel the same? Well, I definitely, Temin, I feel like his big issue is there was such a large ensemble of characters, whereas in the first book, we're introduced to this team, this core team. So this core team is the main ensemble, but because you have more with one Mothma and Leia and Han and everyone else, I feel like Tem Temin, his character got less airtime. So it seemed weaker, but you know, up until the point when his father reappeared, he was just like in the last book. You think so? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought he was basically absent a, 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 until his 
is father shows up and then you get it from Temin's point of view and it's supposed to give you this emotional impact but because i haven't heard from Temin or seen what Temin's like perspective is in so long it's kind of like i honestly don't care much about you at the moment <laughs> and so i'm uh, like i was aware that it was supposed to be hitting me like oh look at how betrayed he feels but instead it was just like okay Ang next. angsty teenager yeah no, I, I could see that. Like, he wasn't absent, absent, but he was in the background. He, he was flying the ships. I mean, it was one of those things that I understand the decision he made to have Temin be kind of in the background. But I think because we're supposed to look at it as a trilogy, not just a standalone book, it's okay. Because when you're writing a trilogy, you're going to have some characters that take center stage in a couple of the books and some that don't, you know, we saw in the old canon, there were books that, you know, would have Wedge take center stage in a book or two. And then next thing you know, he's really a uh, window dressing. You know, or, you're absolutely going to hate me for this statement, James, but do you want to know what I think would have made life that a lot better? What? If they had stripped out Leia's perspective entirely. I agree. Like, I, 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 I really think if they had just stripped Leia out entirely, that, you know, we would have had, we would have had in some ways a more cohesive book because it really would have been about Nora Wexley and her team and everything that that goes through. We would have missed, and and again, it kind of goes back to you know we would have missed out then on a lot of what was happening in the wider galaxy because we'd lose you know the secondhand Mon Mothma perspective and we would have lost Leia's perspective from a political standpoint as well. But at the same time, you know, I feel like we, we we would have gotten stronger characters, I feel like, had had that not been in there. Possibly, but at the same time, they have to set up for the next book, because it's a trilogy, so... Well, I guess, are, are you expecting Lane to play a big part in the next book as well? I feel like the next book, the team is going to play less of a part, and the other characters are going to play... The older characters. I feel like Wedge... Mon Mothma, Leia, Sloan, and by extension the team because they're hunting Sloan. Mm -hmm. Ak Akbar. I feel like the next book is going to be war. You know, it's it's not going to be just uh, hunting a. I feel like the because the next book is going to be mainly a war book with with the team kind of being observers of it because they're chasing Sloan and Sloan is trying to kill Rax that we're going to get a lot of different perspectives that weren't necessarily the team. Do you really think so? So so do you think that we're going to get a lot of new perspective characters? Maybe not new perspective, but like characters we've been introduced to already. So like Wedge, Han, Leia, Akbar, Mon Mothma, Sloane to a degree for sure, Rack. Well, I guess before, we only have Div previously from, from Leia and Wedge for a single paragraph scene. It's not one paragraph, but it was for one scene we got Wedge's point of view. But that's it. That's true. I mean, uh, maybe that perspective is the right word. Because we got a lot of hand story, but it was from, say, Nora's perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel like the team, we're going to get Sloan and the team's perspective for sure. And I think we're going to get some Akbar. I think we're going to get some Wedge. You, you know, I, I think we're weird going to get 
a military novel, and because of that, the team is kind of going to be second place. I don't know. That that seems like a bad choice to me because, like, it's almost as if, like, you know, you've spent two books now building us up about caring about these characters, and now you're going to discard them so that you can have the finale with these people that we don't know anymore. Well, again, it's not... Maybe the hunt for Sloan turns into you're going to help blow up the Superstar Destroyer. I mean, who knows what they're going to wind up doing. But the team will be a part of it for sure. But we're probably going to get... I still think we're going to get some outside perspective. I'm okay with that. Because I want to see the Empire's end. Now, if we all we get is mainly the team's perspective with some other ones thrown in, and the team winds up helping bring about the end of the Empire, then I'm going to be like, really? Team of misfits, five people. That's going to seem less realistic. Oh yes, yeah, so much less realistic than a group of what twelve starfighters taking down the Death Star. They had the Force, damn it. Maybe they do too. Maybe Luke. Maybe maybe we're going to see Luke for the first time post post EU, or post Endor rather. Man, part of me just wants to go not like this, not like this. I I I'm I don't know. Do you know when Empire's End is supposed to come out? Uh, 2017. I forget when, though. I think it might be January. Yeah, because for me, like, the only thing is, I think I'd much rather see and have Luke's story fully, like, more explained in Episode 8 before I read this, before I read him in any novel. You get what I'm saying? I do. I don't know if I fully agree with it, but I get it. I, I mean, like... And part of that's just because, like, I know that you're a fan of having all the old characters back. I personally wasn't a super huge fan of the way they treated most of the returning characters overall. Like, I mean, like, I understand people that liked it, but I was, I was less than thrilled with parts of his portrayal of Han, and less than thrilled with parts of his portrayal of Leia, and I was not a big fan of his portrayal of Mon Mothma. You see, I... I didn't have any real problems with it. It, it all kind of made sense to me. He's oh, setting up like oh, it, it made sense. I just I, I think that there were better ways to do display like her decision making and the like. Sure, I can buy that. I think they'll wrap things up for us here once again. Uh, let us know what you think about life debt. If you want us to talk or you think that we glanced over something, send us an email at coruscantpulse at gmail. Follow us on Twitter at coruscantpulse and the corresponding Facebook group coruscantpulse on Facebook. That will be about it for today. Hope you enjoyed listening and uh, don't go and read the book because it sounds terrible, at least in my opinion. Go and read the book. Have a good time. Don't listen to Tom. <laughs> no, no. No, you have lost. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know the episode's over. Yeah.